I would say the one thing that I've learned, and this comes down to anything in just life or business, it's communication. And it sounds cliche, but the way that I kind of can implement that and put it into something practical is by simply being communicating more than you think you need to. Uh, and if you get that hint, hunt, hunch of, you know, maybe I should call this person, you probably should, you know? So at any point, uh, if you think there's something that they should know, you just want to send an email or give a phone call, whichever you prefer. I typically think phone calls are better. Um, that's how I'd approach it. And by being extremely transparent and extra communicative, especially during these rough times, that's my goal at least. And obviously I think anyone can get better at it personally. I can improve on it. Um, but that's something that has helped because it's not like it takes them by surprise. Uh, so just kind of getting ahead of the curve and letting them know what's going on and what we're forecasting with our assets and with the market. A lot of people have been pretty flexible and I guess understanding as to what's going on with our properties and where we see the, the market going. So they've been, honestly, I haven't got much pushback as, as I mentioned. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? <laughs> easy. Um, well, not too easy, I guess. I like cookie dough ice cream from Target. I forget the brand, but I like to put brownies in it. So if you haven't tried that, you have to. Cookie dough and brownies in the same ice cream? Yeah, you, gotta, you, have to, you have to make the brownies yourself. You can't just have like cookie dough brownie ice cream. It's got to be cookie dough ice cream, and then you make it the brownies yourself, and then you put it in. I almost got into a fist, uh, fisticuffs the other day with somebody because I said I like the corner brownies and they said corner brownies are disgusting. Are you a corny brownies or a mid brownie type of person? That's a good question. I, I prefer, I'd say, I, I like it a little hard. So I do like the corners as well. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't be opposed if it was the middle. Can't yeah. complain too much. It's a brownie. Good brownies are good brownies. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah, so my brothers and I are uh, we, we invest in apartments and we help uh, passive investors invest alongside of us. So um, right now we're focused in North Carolina, which is where we live. Uh, we also look in South Carolina and Georgia. Gotcha, gotcha. And then you have a uh, very interesting past. I guess before we get to your past, tell our listeners how old are you? Yeah, I'm uh, 21 years old. And already doing apartment deals. I'm so envious that you even know what apartment syndication is at 21. I don't think I found the term till I was 20, uh, till I was 33. But where did your real estate journey begin? How did you get involved in real estate at all? Yeah. So initially, I was a college freshman at a local university here in North Carolina. Um, this was about three years ago. And I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, which is the purple book behind me. Um, a lot of people tend to have read that book when they first got started in the, the real estate journeys. Same with me. Uh, that's what kind of broke my mindset. I, I went to school thinking I was going to graduate, get a job, uh, go work up the corporate ladder. And that was my thought process. But eventually when I read that book, it opened my eyes to a different uh, non-traditional path that I ended up taking. So we started listening to more podcasts like Bigger Pockets, um, Grant Cardone podcasts, anything we could get our hands on on YouTube as well. And eventually found wholesaling. Uh, once we hit that, then we kind of and started looking into what wholesaling was. We started taking action and eventually landed our first deal. So that's kind of what opened the gate. Uh, well, I guess what the gateway drug was, which was wholesaling. Yeah. Yeah. And how um, you were wholesaling in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I can give you the story as to like the story of how we ended up actually being sent home um, from school because of the pandemic. Please, please. I want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, initially uh, to go back, 
I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, but I hadn't started taking action until my mom, who's from Guatemala, uh, to third world country in Central America. That's where she was born and raised. Uh, she moved here when she was very young. She was 19. Um, and she had my brothers and I in New York. We moved to the Durham, North Carolina, which is where I still live and where we grew up. Um, I'd never been back to Guatemala. So my winter break, which was six months into my freshman year of college, my mom took all of us for Christmas and the New Year's to Guatemala for the first time. And while I was there, I was reading a lot of books um, and just kind of really taken aback as to the upbringing that my mom had. She'd always tell us about it. But I know a lot of people that have gone and taken trips to third world countries, and they have a similar experience where you don't truly understand how much you take for granted living in the U.S. Uh, until you actually spend some time in a third world country. And uh, I spent three weeks there. Now, my, where my mom is from specifically is a small village of it's it's impoverished area for sure. And uh, they're, they're very happy and awesome people. But I understood what I, when I came back, it really lit a fire under my brothers and I to kind of get over that paralysis analysis stage. And we started taking massive action, uh, which for us was cool calling, pulling lists of data and trying to get our first deal. But I was uh, in the college dorm room when I got back, we were kind of getting back into the group of things. We were cold calling for about two hours each at our own respective universities here in North Carolina. Uh, we all went to different schools, my two brothers and I. I work with my twin and my older brother. So in between classes, in between like almost no social time, uh, working out and trying to like have a balance between trying to build a business and get good grades, uh, we were trying to manage getting our first deal. And eventually COVID-19 uh, happened. So none of the students in my on campus were allowed to stay in their dorm rooms any longer. So we had to kind of evacuate very quickly. So I had to get all my stuff and go home. And luckily my brothers and I got reunited back at home. And at this point we'd already started cold calling two hours a day. And now with us being online, uh, we could get away with doing less in regards to school and doing more cold calling because for us, we understood the more calls we made, uh, the more likely we would actually find a good lead and close our first deal. So that kind of expedited the journey and, Eventually, that two hours went from 12-hour days and cold calling all day, uh, and eventually my freshman year ended, and now I had the full summer to just cold call all day with no disruptions. Um, eventually, that summer, we closed our first deal, and eventually, I actually didn't go back to school. I, I just decided not to sign up for classes. Um, I made the, the biggest deal that we closed was that summer before I went back to my second year, which was my sophomore year, or would have been. So I ended up not going back. And then my two brothers followed suit as well and, and ended up just going real estate full time. How, how big was that first deal? Uh, so we closed one. We closed two on the first, on that, that same day. Actually, two ended up closing. One was wow. 33 grand and the other one was $500. So very big discrepancy in regards to this total uh, fee amount. But it, it was uh, definitely like a you know proof of concept. Yep. Yeah. And I've heard you say before, it's like during that time period, you knew that if other people had done this, that you absolutely could do it. You just had to find your way and your tactics that worked for you. 100%. And we kept hearing it on like the podcast. That's why it's so important. And I always try to like emphasize the importance of, of self-education. And if you're trying to do something that you haven't necessarily done, it's important to surround yourself with people who are doing it. And you don't always have to do that in, in person, which is it's better if you do, but you can do that through podcasts because it motivates yeah. you and it also shows you what's possible. Yeah. Going back to your story of going down to Guatemala, what, yeah. what do you think, how do you think that shaped you? Because I, I agree with you hundred percent. I've been to a third world country before in Africa and 
I, the way I described it to people is you don't realize how little things matter. And what I mean by that is street lights, paved roads, guardrails on the roads, and how all those little things matter. Um, and it really gave me a different level of respect for how well we have it in America. But I guess, can you tell, can, were there any key takeaways from going and, and making that journey? Yeah. And, and one story I like to talk about is, um, so like growing up, my mom and my mom's always been a big go giver, which is one awesome thing that I took away from her. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live up to what she's been able to do. But growing up, I would see her like, have these really huge boxes, these cardboard boxes that were bigger than me growing up. And honestly still are. Like if I lay down next to it, the box is really big and she'd pack it with all these things. And I'm like, mom, who are you sending all this stuff to? And she'd like go to my closet, ask me to pull out any of my clothes that I didn't think I could fit into or I just didn't use. And I'd give it to her. I had no idea where they were going because um, eventually I found out where it was going, right? It was going to my family in Guatemala. And when I was there, uh, I saw my aunts, my uncles, my cousins walking around with clothes that I just completely had forgotten about, right? My, my, my hand-me-downs mm-hmm. uh, and they were using it on a day-to-day basis. And, and that's, that's the thing that like, I like to take away. And it always is as clear as, uh, as anything is that they take the small things that I took for granted here uh, and they use it every single day. So when I got back, what I really realized was I had opportunities here, uh, whether that was access to this laptop that I'm on right now, access to clean water, um, to, to flush the toilets over there. What we have to do is you have to get water out of a, like a hose and then you have to pour it down the toilet. You can't like flush it to get hot water. You have to heat it up on a fire that they make. So things like that, small things like that, that uh, one is like, it's so easy to take for granted, but on the grand scheme of things, I knew I had an opportunity to build a business here, to not only help them, but to help myself and help my family and my mom and that they don't have. Like if I were trying to go build a real estate company over there, I honestly don't know how I would get started. I'm sure it's possible, but it's not the same as, as doing it here. So all the limiting beliefs that I had, I truly just decided, you know what, even though I'm low income in America coming up with a single mother, it's nothing in regards to the grand scheme of what actually is low income in other countries. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I, I think I want to find a way to phrase this correctly. But one of the things that I've loved about getting to know you and seeing your journey and things like that is the immigrant hustle. I mean, the fact that you would cold call for 12 hours and pick up the phone and after the 15th no and keep on doing it just to be (laughs) successful is something that our economy desperately needs and is great for our culture. But I also understand the flip side of that and and talking to people that come from similar roots as you is that they're, they're... families who are first generation immigrants want them to stay on the steady, successful path. Like yeah. you, you might not be extremely successful, but you're not going to fall off the wagon if you just go down this path. So I assume when you and your brothers decided that you were going to leave college to pursue this route, that your mother um, had yeah. some opinions about that. Can you talk us through what that experience looked like on your side? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in, initially she was like very upset. Uh, we, I remember like one night we were at dinner, my two brothers and I, and uh, it just came up like my older brother was like, mom, I'm not going back to school next year. <laughs> and she thought he was joking and he wasn't. And I was like, me neither. But I said it kind of like nonchalantly while eating yeah. my food. <laughs> and she just said, yes, you are. And I said, okay. And, and one thing my mom, even when I was younger, like growing up, I played soccer and she would always leave things up to me because she doesn't speak. She didn't speak English that well. Now she's a lot better at it, but she would leave it up to me. So in regards to signing up for classes, at the end of the day, I'm the one that has to do it. Uh, so I had like the that was up to me in regards to actually putting in my my application or whatever. So uh, at the end of the day, I told her mom, I'm not going back. And once we closed on that first deal, she was definitely more like, okay, this is a real business. But initially there she was, she was crying a lot. Uh, it was her dream to, you know, to be the kind of the American dream to live it out for her kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kind of wanted to live it through us in my opinion, um, which regardless of whether or not that's fair, I, I think I can see her perspective for it from it. 
Um, but I saw the long-term vision, which was for me to retire her. And also I can always go back to school. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, I kind of have to make my own decisions and live my life the way I want to live it. Uh, and I'm trying my best to surround myself with awesome people. So that's why I'm joining mastermind groups. And I like to think I'm going the non-traditional route, but I'm still trying to invest in my education just like I would if I was going to a normal, a traditional college. Um, and I like to think that she can finally see that it's starting to pay off in a certain degree, to a certain degree. Yeah. And I'm sure she's super proud of you now that you've had this level of success you've had over the past three years. You and the brothers keeping in the family is even more. Yeah. Yeah, And and I think too, uh, we've talked a little bit about your brother. So you've got a twin and an older brother, but you also have a sister that's been relatively successful um, as well. So was there, do you remember any kind of traits that your mom tried to instill in you as as a kid or anything like that, that was able to help all four of you become successful? Yeah, I think a lot of things that my mom does in regards to her parenting style, it's more so leading by example. Uh, she's, I would say, not like the the, the biggest um, with her words. It's more so based on like she's a, her, her love language is actions. And I forget like the exact frame, the yeah, terminology yeah. they use, but based on what she does. So my mom still works hard uh, be, in regards to like what she does. She cleans houses and she's been doing that since she moved here. And that's all that's really, really hard on their body. And it's very labor intensive. Uh, she actually wakes up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., works all the way, comes home until 3 to 4. Sometimes she'll not come home at all, um, 3 to 4, and then she'll go back to work uh, all the way up until like midnight uh, right wow. now. So like the goal is to retire her. That's why we're working so hard. Uh, it's like a pressure that I, I know that I'm – I think pressure is a privilege, but it's not like an easy pressure. I don't wake up every day. I'm like, yay, when I get this, like, you know, I know my mom's going to work. It, it's not a fun feeling. So that's why we go so hard. But one thing that I it has shown me growing up, she's always been like that is I'm going to work hard. Um, she's always said like, I don't want to have a, a, a dad in your life right now because I don't want someone to come in and like, for some crazy reason, like hit you guys or something like that. So she's always put us first. And like that, that's why we're so big on family is because she sacrificed so much to get here. Um, and as I mentioned, it's a lot based on her sacrifices physically. It's not always what she says, but it's what she does. And she has a strong character. Sometimes it's like a little too strong in my opinion, but it kind of, you know, it's something that I can look up to. Yeah. Yeah. I like that uh, quote there. Pressure is a privilege. I like that. Yeah. Um, so you and your brothers, you, you you started cold calling, you're doing the wholesaling thing in 2020, and then you make this shift to apartment syndications and, mm-hmm. and more commercial assets. Um, one, talk us through why did you decide to make the shift? And then we'll get into kind of the the strategy that you have around your syndications. Yeah. So uh, we were on a mastermind call with uh, some single family investors. There were a lot of wholesalers on the call, which is what we were specializing at the time. And we had one individual who came on who was focused on development, but he was syndicating deals. Uh, and we'd heard about what syndication was through Grant Cardone and different types of podcasts. And people kept saying, I wish I would have gotten started uh, going bigger earlier. And we'd only been in the business for about a year in regards to real estate. Uh, so we decided, okay, we kept hearing this and we knew what we wanted to do eventually, which was to get into commercial real estate. But we just didn't think we had the money, the knowledge, the expertise, the network. And we thought we were too young, all of these limiting beliefs. Uh, but eventually we had a meeting. It was, a, I want to say it was like a Tuesday and it was during the summer. Uh, and we were like, okay, it actually was in January. So it wasn't the summer, but he, my brother was like, my twin brother was like, okay, if we want to get into this industry, uh, commercial real estate, specifically commercial real estate in this niche, What's holding us back? We wrote it all down on a piece of paper and we decided that right now we're climbing up this one tree and it's very transactional. Like we can't necessarily stop it. 
there's so many deals that are coming in and yes, you can make a good amount of money, but we were investing so much back into the business that at the end of the day, we were working all day, every day, and we saw it taking too long for us to get to our goal. So we realized that if we, at this point, we're young, we have all this energy and we're already working all day. Why not work towards our ultimate goal, which is commercial real estate and all these limiting beliefs. Honestly, it was a little naive of us to just jump ship. I have to say, but we just said, let's do it. Uh, eventually transitioned. And the first book that we read was the best ever apartment syndication book. So the main reasons were tra- the transaction side of it, the scalability of it in regards to transaction, transactional, it was tra- two transactional on the single family side. Uh, we were working all day and we didn't have any assets. Like, yes, we were, uh, mar- we were like a marketing machine when it came to wholesaling. Uh, we had some creative finance deals, but it wasn't necessarily us acquiring the assets that were going to a- allow us to have that freedom that we're looking for. Yeah. And this mastermind group that you were talking about, was it a wholesale mastermind group or was it um, everybody yeah, it involved was, in real estate? Yeah. Yeah. Single family uh, wholesaling mastermind group. So um, it was something that we paid a little bit of money to get into. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so you jump into syndication. And one of the things about syndication is it's a team sport. So, you know, you could be really good at raising capital, but really terrible at operations management. Finding deals in commercial real estate is a whole different level of a skill set than in the single family as well. So do you think it helped you from a strategic advantage standpoint to have a group, you three, um, so you could divide skills up? Or how was that conversation evolved over time? Yeah, I think the biggest value, the, the biggest like benefit is that one, we already have worked together and we're brothers. So we have a similar why, similar work ethic, um, similar values. But on top of it, it's just three people that are full-time real estate and are willing to do anything uh, to get it done. So like that's something that's hard to find. I think people that match your work ethic, match your um, willingness to grow, to fail, all of these different things. And honestly, I have nothing, none of them, nothing to lose. But um, as I mentioned, we'd all left school at that point. So we had no really, we burned the ships in a way. Yep. So nothing to go back to. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to figure this out one way or the other. And we're together, which I think was powerful. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, the way you three uh, uh, the way you three divide up responsibilities, I understand you're in charge of investor relations. What are your other two brothers? What do they work on? Yeah, so the way that, I, I guess to go off your first question in this one, the way that we figured that out was by taking action. And that's that's really what we do best is just, we we love to do it. I personally, my my one of my I guess uh, downsides is I don't necessarily love the planning side of things. I'd rather just go try it and figure it out. Um, and my other brothers they like to talk a little bit more, and um, which is good. I think that's a good balance. But initially, I was just already doing the acquisition side of our single family business. I was uh, on the phones as the acquisitions representative, so closing sellers. Um, so it kind of was easy to transition into a investor relations capital raising role. My twin brother is doing our marketing at this point, but initially. Uh, him and my older brother, Kenneth, were doing our underwriting. So they were just both trying to see who liked it better. And my older brother, he'd started first. He was already having some type of traction with it. So we knew the the way that we learned about the roles was best ever apartment syndication, the book by Joe Fairless. Mm-hmm. Uh, we picked right the three investor relations. The, the marketing wasn't necessarily a role, but asset management and then the underwriting. Those are the main four, in my opinion. Now, asset management, you can't manage if you don't have anything. So that kind of knocked that one out. And then the marketing piece, we, we knew the thought leadership platform was important. So I kind of started doing that. Uh, and then my twin brother, eventually he just didn't have much to do. So we were like, well, marketing is starting to get really busy and time consuming for me. Why don't you just take this and run with it? And Kerwin, my twin, he's the one that does marketing. He 
is really creative. He uh, loves to write. Like that's his passion. Uh, he's an, he's kind of like a up up and coming author. Um, we're manifesting it. So that's kind of his like skill set is storytelling and marketing in a form in a different sense is storytelling. So that's how he kind of fell into that role. And then Kenneth, as I mentioned, as an underwriter, he started there. Over time, he got a lot better, and now he's in love with it. I don't see how, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> Some people love their spreadsheets. Yeah. To all teach their own, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. So what does the portfolio look like today for you all? Yeah. So uh, we're uh, co-GP'd on four deals. Um, and then the, the last deal that we closed on um, was the fifth one. So it's a little over a thousand units at this point. Gotcha. And they're all in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia? Um, so we haven't broken into North Carolina or South Carolina yet. That's where we're actively pursuing uh, opportunities. But currently it's in Atlanta. Uh, and then on top of it, it's Jacksonville, Florida. And then we have one uh, in, in Waco, Texas. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then I I am interested to hear and have this conversation as we enter 2023 right now yeah. is how is your portfolio um, weathering the changes that we're seeing right now? So there's a, a lot of folks that didn't lock their floating rate debt. There's a lot of yeah. folks that are seeing uh, inflation take a hold of their uh, goods and labor costs and things like that. What's going on in your portfolio right now? Yeah, you know, great question. So currently, thankfully, on on all the deals that we've done, for the most part, we've locked in our, our our rate cap. Now we did get bridge loans on all of them, but the rate caps they are although they are being met, uh, we were able to purchase that, so that protects us on the upside in regards to the interest rate going as high as it is now. Um, we can go into why we chose bridge loans if you or the bridge debt if you want to, but in regards to how we're sort of moving forward on those opportunities and all those on those deals actively. Uh, on certain deals, we're withholding our distributions, not because we can't pay the distribution, but we think it's important to, for us to be in a good spot in regards to our cash reserves. Uh, we'd rather have the capital there. And in the event that we need it, it's there versus us, you know, worst case, having to go to our own team and having to infuse more capital into the projects. Um, but the assets themselves are performing really, really well. Uh, obviously, the debt service has gone up because of those uh, interest rates going up. But in regards to the projects, we picked really awesome markets like Jacksonville, Florida, Atlanta, and Waco, where rent growth is still increasing, and, and it is in most areas, but specifically in those markets, it's been going very well. Uh, occupancy is high. Our demand for our units are still high. We're more so a workforce housing type of uh, demographic of residents. So uh, there's a lot of uh, demand for those types of units in our local submarkets that we're in. Yeah, you mentioned withholding distributions. Are you did you go from monthly to quarterly, or are you just withholding them right now to get a, a gauge to how uh, the plane lands? I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're in, uh, we do quarterly distributions, and the reason that we're withholding it is really just for the time being. Isn't like I mentioned, we have the, the the funds there. It's just for the best interest of our investors. We'd rather have those funds to ensure that we can execute our business plan, and nothing necessarily gets uh, put on standby. So uh, obviously, eventually we have a pref on the deals that I'm talking about. So those will get paid out. Uh, but in regards to the business plan, we just want to make sure that we can execute it as we planned. Uh, we'd rather keep those funds in place versus, you know, having to go back to investors or go to our team and ask for those funds. Yeah. And, and I'll throw you a little life raft here. A, a lot of people are doing that right now. It's yeah, not just yeah. you all, right? I mean, when yeah. Blackstone is having liquidity issue, not liquidity issues, when they're holding liquidity withdrawals from their biggest private yeah. equity portfolio in real estate and a number of different syndicators right now are pausing or are lessening distributions, it's across the board right now. Yeah. It doesn't mean that real estate's in a bad spot. It just means to your point, like we need to see how the plane lands here. 
Are we going to continue to see interest rates rise? Is inflation really under control? Will rents continue to grow or will they deflate over time? So I think it's actually a prudent strategy, a very financially prudent strategy for you all to withhold and kind of see how things are going to go here. Yeah, I think it's being more proactive versus reactive. Uh, and, And our number one goal is to preserve investor capital. So at the end of the day, that's based on how the, the asset performs. And if we can mitigate risk uh, and, and ensure that that does go well, then we're going to do that. And I, a lot of our investors are, are on board with that. So we haven't had much pushback on it. Yeah. But obviously a difficult conversation to have. So yeah. um, you being in charge of investor relations there, I'm sure you had to go deliver some of those messages. How did your investors take that? Um, any lessons you learned on difficult delivering a difficult message during this time? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say the one thing that I've learned, and this comes down to anything in just life or business, it's communication. And it sounds cliche, but the way that I kind of can implement that and put it into something practical is by simply being uh, communicating more than you think you need to. Uh, and if you get that hint, hunt, hunch of, you know, maybe I should call this person, you probably should, you know. So at any point, uh, if you think there's something that they should know, you just want to send an email or give a phone call, whichever you prefer. I typically think phone calls are better. Um, That's how I'd approach it. And by being extremely transparent and extra communicative, especially during these rough times, that's my goal at least. And obviously I think anyone can get better at it personally. I can improve on it. Um, But that's something that has helped because it's not like it takes them by surprise. Uh, So just kind of getting ahead of the curve and letting them know what's going on and what we're forecasting with our assets and with the market. A lot of people have been pretty flexible and I guess understanding as to what's going on with our properties and where we see the, the market going. So they've been, honestly, I haven't got much pushback, as, as I mentioned, that they have questions. Uh, and I assume obviously some of them aren't too happy with it. Like they would prefer us to, to be doing certain things, but they understand, which I think is the important thing. And I think that's what builds trust. Yeah. And I think you're right. Uh, communication is very cliche, but one of the lessons I learned early on in my career is bad news doesn't get better with time, right? right. So you might as well go ahead and hit the nail right on the head and uh, at least get it past you. 100%. Um, so you all uh, going into this next environment, I think you all focus on Class C assets and kind of doing the value had rehab and things like that. Are you all still focused on that area of the market or do you see any other different strategies that you're going to implement moving forward? Yeah. So initially we were doing more of a C-class type of property, but now moving forward, what we're looking for is a Class B 1980s vintage uh, in those certain markets that I mentioned earlier. And the reason for that is after doing deals in the past and having different conversations with different capital partners and just different team members, also our investors, uh, everyone seems to be looking for a certain type of product. And I think going into these kinds of uh, economic environments, if you can have the capital and your capital stack in place before going after an opportunity, it'll just kind of make life a lot more fun. You know, I think I got into this business to have fun and enjoy myself. Um, I don't know, granted, I'm not going to like back down because it's challenging, but one, I think there's a there's a reason that they're looking for those kinds of assets. Uh, it's obviously less risk. I would preferably go after those products because it excites me more. Um, personally, I would rather live in a Class B product. So we're, we are sort of shifting our criteria to uh, that kind of uh, you know Class B 1980s vintage. But another reason for that is also because a lot of our capital partners and different types of family offices that we're speaking with, uh, they've been more inclined to invest in those kinds of products. And that's what we're kind of... Uh, switching our, our criteria to for this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I, I think I've said this a couple of times that right now, what we're going to see is a reversion back to the mean. And what I mean by that is class C assets that traditionally trade at an eight and a half, nine cap, or we're trading at five caps in 2021, <laughs> they will revert back to the mean and class yeah. A assets, which typically would re- trade at like a four and a half cap, 
we're probably trading at like a three and a half to four. So that elasticity back to the mean is not as far. And so I, what I've done in my por- personal portfolio over the past two years is just start shifting more into class A assets. Now, with that being said, there's not as much upside there, but right. it is about capital preservation, which you just mentioned a few minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jeffrey, you're a guy that's got a long, successful career ahead of you over the next 30, 40, 50 years. Where does this thing end? Where do you, how do you define success in, in your career? And, and when you look back on it, where, where are you headed? Yeah, great question. So for me, like success is, uh, to make sure of things for me, like first and foremost, I'm very faithful. So, uh, it's being at peace and in a good relationship with God for me. And then on top of it comes, I think like if, if I can try my best to, and, have that be like my centerpiece. Everything else tends to fall into place because I kind of have faith in one thing and then everything else I have, I'll have naturally have faith in and understand that it'll work out the way it's supposed to work out. Uh, but in regards to like my business, uh, I don't think I'll ever like stop. So success for me is always enjoying myself, uh, making sure that I'm um, doing the things that feel right and are kind of in alignment with my, my, my faith. Uh, so if, in regards to my mom, I want to retire her as soon as possible. We're hoping to do that in the next 12 months. For our business, we're looking to do one to two deals a quarter. Um, eventually, I'd love to like take the, our company to, similar to Blackstone, take it public. Uh, I don't know. I remember reading the, his Stephen Schwarzman's book, and yeah. it really inspired me. I was like, man, this guy's like awesome. I love the way he thinks, um, and it's a cool goal to have. You know, I I, I think we'll get there eventually. Um, thankfully, we got started early, so we have a long time to do that. Uh, but I don't know. I love the challenge. I love. I'm very competitive. I love to win. Um, have a good time too, but I get to work with my brothers and awesome people. And that's the cool thing about being a, you know, an entrepreneur is you kind of get to choose who you work with, uh, which I think is a really, really awesome. So being able to do certain things like that, I, I kind of grow the company in that direction is something that we're looking to do moving forward. Yeah. As a twin myself, I envy you awesome. that you get to work with your twin and know that 40 years from now, when you guys are kind of kicking it in retirement, you'll look back and say, not only did we yeah, uh, have our early life together, but we built companies together, and we uh, also yeah. worked together throughout our career. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, I didn't know you were a twin, Matt. You should have told me. <laughs> uh, well, I'm a fraternal, so I'm not a clone. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, mine, mine doesn't look like me. He's a, he's a little uglier. No, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. no, I like to say um, Wyatt is better looking and more uh, uh, more successful than me, but mom loves me more. So yeah, that's what that. matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, I want to switch us now into our last round. We're calling this the five yeah. toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. Good, great question. So I have a few behind me, but I, I, I want to remember which one I just read. So extreme ownership is one that, um, by Jocko Willenick. That one I just read. I know you were, we were at the same event when we met him and I read it mm-hmm. after that. Um, awesome for the one reason for me, I used to, it's so easy to like put blame on my brothers for doing something, whether that's like some small thing, like not even outside of business or not even in business or in the business. It's easy to blame them because there's three of us. So when there's something to, that needs to get done, it's easy for me to like, ex- you know, justify to myself why it was his fault and not mine. But if I can just reverse that, I've learned that I can take more control over my life and it's more effective overall. So that's why it's important to do that. On top of it, the number one book for me right now is Who Not How. Um, that's how we've been able to get to the point uh, of our where our company is, is based on who we've known, obviously being young and newer to the industry. Uh, I would be lying to say I know everything, right? Or I'm as experienced as an individual who's been in the industry for 20 years. But what I can say is I've been actively building my network and I'm grateful and very gracious of the people that I have in my network because they've been pe- uh, pouring and kind of 
giving all of their insights. As soon as I need have a question, I can reach out to people. Um, so if I don't know the answer, I can definitely find the answer. Yeah, two fantastic books right there. Um, yeah. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have every day? That's I love that. I love that uh, the habit question. So uh, my morning routine, I do this every day. Um, it's 5 a.m. I wake up. I uh, do my yoga for 10 minutes. I do uh, meditation for 10 minutes. And then I'll go to the, I'll kind of do a prayer in the morning. So right up when I'm done with that, I list five things I'm grateful for. And then five things that I am asking, or not, I'm asking God for, I'm um, in a way where I'm trying to manifest it and kind of have a direction of what I want to accomplish. Um, so at the, then I go to the gym for about an hour with my brothers. Uh, we'll come back. It's mainly like weight training. I don't really do much cardio because I play soccer on the weekend. So I'll leave that for then, but then come back, take a cold shower. I'll do a uh, daily affirmations and then I'll journal. Um, I do also do my daily goals and then my life goals. I like to have all that in perspective every day. And then I read for 30 minutes. I like to read the Bible for 10. And then I'll listen to this. Um, it's like an audio re- recording of like an individual that I look up to in, in my spiritual, uh, I guess, uh, part of my life. Yeah. Like he goes over certain parts of the Bible and sometimes I don't understand what they're talking about in the Bible. So I like having someone uh, sort of give their perspective on it and it helps me kind of interpret it. Uh, and then after that, I'll go on a walk with my brother, with my dog, kind of talk about life and then come back. And I usually work from about 9.45 uh, until eight with lunch and dinner in between. And so on the weekends, I'll, I'll like that that schedule. The morning routine's the same every day. Um, yeah. At the same time, but that's pretty much the, the daily habits. Is your yoga routine, the 10 minutes in the morning, is it the same every mo- morning? Uh, the same routine? Yeah. No, I like to look it up. It, sometimes I, I'm very athletic and I like to work out. And so some, some mornings, like I'm feeling pain in certain parts of my body and I'm sitting down all day. So if I have like back pain, I'll do back yoga or kind of focus on my back or neck soreness or legs and knees, things like that. But yeah. or I'll just throw on like a 60 minute yoga and 10 minutes a day and break it up. Yeah. I uh, I started doing 10 minutes of stretching a day for, in 2020 or so. And yeah. it, it's amazing how much better you feel just moving your body just a little bit in the morning. Kind of wakes me up too. Yeah, it does. It does. And then cold shower. I don't know if I mentioned that. Cold showers. Yeah. I do that every day. Yeah, you won't get me on that train. I, I swam for like 20 years and okay. getting in a cold pool <laughs> is one of the least favorite things in the world to do. I'm sure. <laughs> um, our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, that I've ever received? I would say uh, for me, it's it's out of the books that I've read, it's, uh, it's all about who you spend your time with. And it's very cliche. You are the sum of the five people. You spend your time with, but in, in regards to how I've applied it to my life, I've joined a lot of mastermind groups and I didn't go to school, but I've picked my mentors wisely or my, at my best ability and God has put people in my path. And that is why I'm where I am. I'm um, not to say I'm like at this crazy level or whatever, but um, I, I've been able to try to accomplish certain, you know, set certain goals and accomplish them because of the people I've been able to surround myself with. And I don't think a lot of people actually think about who you're intentionally spending time with, like what, what thoughts are coming into your head and who's who's at the cause of that. Uh, and I'm very, very uh, specific and deliberate with what I'm listening to, what books I'm reading, who I'm allowing into my small circle and who I'm giving my time to um, and all my energy to all of that. I'm very, uh, I'm very uh, deliberate and I guess picky with. So that's something yeah. that I, I've gotten and I think is important. Yeah, I think I even heard you say that you stopped listening to music and switched to podcasts. I I um, do long distance running and cycling, and that's one of the best life hacks yeah. I've ever implemented is not listening to music during that time, listen to podcasts, yeah. because it is influencing your subconscious mind, even if you don't realize it. 
hundred percent. And I think like even your vocabulary, if you're listening to it, just hear these words constantly kind of get submerged in um like macroeconomics used to make no sense to me. But now yeah. I'm like, oh, I kind of get it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Our fourth one is what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? I'd say my faith. Um this last year was a challenging year for like business and just personal growth. Um, one thing that I've actually newly kind of come into this new frame of mind is always having a beginner's mindset. So initially that was easy, right? Because you're a beginner. But yeah. a few years in, you start to I the, the one thing I, I struggled with gr- growing up was having this false sense of like self-confidence, which is a good thing, but I was overconfident in my opinion. And I love being humble because I I am one, I have that open mind. I have a beginner's mindset, which makes me hungry to learn more, hungry to do things that oh, like I don't, I don't ever want to think I'm too good to do something. So like whether I'm cold calling someone uh, and just picking up the phone and doing like taking massive action, I'm afraid that if I ever get to the point where I'm not humble anymore, um, then I would stop doing those things, which have got helped me get to the point where I am. So I think having the beginner's mindset and staying hungry is important to me. So um, I think I answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. Having a beginner's mindset as you become more established in something is even yeah. harder to do. And uh, I envy you for having that mindset. That's that's really nice. Yeah. Our fifth one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Yeah. For me, straight to my mind comes to Cristiano Ronaldo. I want to love soccer too. Uh, his work ethic. Uh, I think there's certain things between like talent and just work and hard work and persistence. And a book by Angela Duckworth, it's called Grit. It kind of talks about it. Um, I think he's a great example of that. And regardless of like how he is perceived in the media right now, um, is that, I don't know if you're a soccer fan, but I, I'm a Man United fan. And I, I, although his falling out with Man United wasn't the positive, a positive one, I still envy. Uh, I don't. I look up to him in a lot of ways, uh, and I think there's a lot of traits that he has that I'd love to kind of learn from. So it'd be Cristiano. Yeah, I, I haven't followed that storyline uh, too much, but it seems like he's getting a pretty bad uh, reputation right now in the public media. Do you do you, do you want to take this time to kind of defend him? What, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, there? yeah. He like so he's at Manchester United. He used to play there like last year, um, and he wasn't playing too well uh, this year. So he eventually stopped getting as much playing time. And as big of a guy as he is, he wasn't. He didn't like that. So eventually, he was having these fits, um, kind of throwing his like walking away and going into like the bench. Uh, I guess locker room early and things like that. So then eventually he got not kicked off the team, but they had a mutual agreement. But he signed like a contract for seventy one million a year for a team in Saudi Arabia. So Whoa. it's not too bad of a like a. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it's not. That, that, no, he's not having it too bad right now. <laughs> yeah, let me just get a dollar, Cristiano. <laughs> um, exactly. Well, Jeffrey, fantastic conversation. I mean, you're a guy that's going to have a long, successful career ahead of you, and I'm so excited to watch you over the next twenty or thirty years. But if our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about you, or get on your investor list, um, where's the best place we could point them? Yeah, so uh, feel free to check out our investor checklist. It's uh, free and we, we give it to people who are interested in learning more about what to look for before investing in some type of passive investment opportunity. Uh, you can view, view that at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash checklist. And then you can visit us on social media on all platforms at Donis Brothers. Our YouTube is there and our podcast is The Real Estate Monopoly. I'm at Jeffrey Donis on social media as well. Perfect. We will link all those in the show notes. And then Jeffrey, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.